You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. All right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get back into 1 Thessalonians. So let's pray together. God, we just want to once again praise you and thank you that you give us the opportunity to gather with other believers and learn with other believers. Father, I'm thankful that as we get together right now, we don't have to rely on human wisdom to instruct us and guide us. Instead, we can um, base the, the decisions that we're trying to make for our church on your word. And so, God, I'm thankful that we can look into your word together now and we can study that together. God, I pray that you would teach us from it today. You would continue to instruct us in the area of discipleship for ourselves personally and then in the context of this church, God, that you would... Um, As we said earlier, God, that you would give us the wisdom that we need to know how to raise up mature believers in this church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll begin reading again in verse 1 just to once again set the context. We're moving into verse 6 this week. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now we've been focusing in on this idea that Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, that they proved to be the type of men worth following. Remember, these three ride into town, they go immediately to the synagogue, they begin preaching gospel, they begin preaching Jesus to these people. And people begin responding getting saved, and this church begins to be planted and grow. And we said that this growth is sustained and stimulated by the the message that Paul and his people bring, but also just in the outpouring of them into the lives of these new believers. And we said that Paul makes a point to say we proved to be the type of people essentially worth following. Because in verse 6, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And he he commends that as a good thing. And we've looked at other passages where Paul says, come imitate me. Not just imitate Christ, but imitate me so that you imitate Christ. And we said that Paul's not trying to set himself up in a prideful way. Paul's not trying to say, hey, I'm a mature believer that has everything figured out. It's more this mindset of Paul saying, hey, I want to know Jesus, so I'm going in that direction. If you want to know Jesus too, come along and we'll go in that direction together. So he's inviting people to follow him 
Because he is more mature, but he's not mature in the sense that he's done. He hasn't arrived spiritually. But he's moving in the direction of being holy. He's moving in the direction of knowing Christ more. And so he invites people to come and mimic that with him, to come and imitate with that with them. Now that's where the seven things kind of float out for us. What does it mean to be a person worth imitating? What does it mean to be a person who is worth following? And I gave you these seven things, seven areas for you to evaluate yourself personally. Evaluate how mature you feel like you are in these areas. And then work to grow and deepen yourself in those areas if you don't feel like you're at a mature level where you could teach people about these areas. So we identified those seven things as knowing the gospel, having a theology of Jesus in the sense of the historical Jesus. Who was he? What did he do? And that's such an important thing. And the reason we separate that from submission to King Jesus is because every other religion says something differently about Jesus than what we do as Christians. It's what differentiates us from all the other religions. It's that Jesus is God. He's not a prophet. He's not a teacher. He's not an angel in a new form. He is God in flesh. It's a distinguishing mark of Christianity. That's why that category is so important. We have to know Jesus. Paul taught Jesus to these people. Believing in sovereignty, that God is working for, for His glory and for our good, Romans 8.28, that everything in our life is constructed for our good, for our development, ultimately for God's glory. A submission to King Jesus. Remember, Paul standing before the officials. He's being accused by the Pharisees of teaching new stuff, causing a, an outrage in the community. The Pharisees say, he's teaching us to follow a different king. He's teaching us to follow King Jesus, and that violates what Caesar says. And so we acknowledge that we follow a new king that's different from what this world tells us to do. We're equipped to learn, and I've changed desire to learn to equipped to learn. That you're equipped to know how to teach yourself, how to grow and deepen yourself. And that goes along with what we talked about this morning in our discipleship brainstorming session. That we have to be the type of people that can learn on our own. That we can, we can develop our relationship deeper without having to rely on somebody else. doesn't mean that, that, that those type of relationships aren't profitable and needed. But that I'm able to grow and have a relationship with God on my own. If I'm just at home reading and studying. That I know how to feed myself is a sign of maturity. A love for the church. That we're not rogue followers of Jesus that try to do this on our own, that we do align ourselves with a local church under the submission of elder leadership, under this, uh, the, the, the mindset of like serving one another with our gifts, and then a passion for the lost, a desire to bring new people into this fold, not just this local fold, but the universal church, bringing people into the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about how in order for us to grow in these seven areas, the Word has to be a priority. Being in the Bible has to be a priority. Now, we've hopefully started tearing down the whole legalistic mindset of you have to be in the Word every day for a set amount of time or you're not doing it right. We've tried to remove that. Hey, it's, it's not a guilty thing if you only got 30 minutes today and you didn't get an hour. It's not a, not, a, not a guilty thing if you missed yesterday, but you, you were in it today for a long time. 
And it's even removing this mindset that i got to make up for missing yesterday. i got to earn God's favor back because I didn't get in His Word yesterday. That we're removing that mindset, but we're also putting back into it a healthy mindset that we've just got to be in the Word. We just want to be in the Word as much as we can, as much as our schedule allows, and we're allowing that to grow and develop us. The Word has to be a priority. We gave some reasons for that. It's the normative way that God communicates. To not be in the Word is to be not hearing from God. It's the way that God talks to us and leads us and guides us. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to instruct us. We said that God expects us to grow up and to be stable. That God expects us to be mature. He wants our church to be faithful to mature people in this church. God expects you as individuals to be grown up and stable. To put the milk away and to feast and eat on the meat. We said this is not only necessary for you, but it's necessary for others as well. Then we talked about just some practical ways to to be in the Word. We talked about relying on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us. The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand Scripture. Don't be, don't make the mistake of saying, I can't understand the Bible. Because as 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14 says, if you say you can't understand the Bible, you're saying you're not a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit teaches and illuminates spiritual things to people who He dwells inside. So it may be hard for you to understand Scripture, but if you're really a Christian, you can understand Scripture. We gave you some practical ways that we're trying to help you, one being the Sovereign Hope Library that we're putting together. I don't know how many of you got to read the post that I gave you on the city this week. John Piper came out with this thing about like how we're all busy, our schedules are difficult to, to be in the Word, but he poses this thing that if you read at the average speed of somebody, just the average word-per-minute guy, if you fall into that category, which most of us will since that's the average, um, he says if you just simply try to read 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, that by the end of the year you will read 20 books, 20 average-sized books. Now, most of us would say, I don't have time to read 20 books. I mean, if we were to stack 20 books up here, you'd say, I don't have time to read that. Like, I'm not going to be able to, to do that. But most of us would probably say, I got 15 minutes a day. And so we can get the information that we need into our minds and we can meditate on that even by setting aside 15 minutes a day. I mean, that would be wonderful if we were all reading 20 books a year that are based on spiritual things. I mean, imagine how much deeper and more mature we would be spiritually if everybody did that. Think about how much more knowledge you would know about God if you read 20 books about God that you'd never read before. And it's manageable. It's, it's, it's something that you can do. The Word has to be a priority. All right, so we started a couple of weeks ago. I gave you three step, the three-step process of discipleship. We said, number one, be a person worth following. That if we're going to make disciples in this church, it requires us... Being people that are worth following, that when a new believer comes in this door, they get saved because Luke was sharing the gospel with them down at Gordon on campus, and they get saved, and Luke says, come be a part of my church. Here's a new believer, never been to church before, doesn't know anything about the Bible. Who are we going to put him with? Who are we going to instruct to teach him? If we're going to make disciples, we have to be the type of people worth following. And then secondly, we get into the second step today, and that is get other people to follow you. Be a person worth imitating. Be a person worth following. 
and then get other people to follow you. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not life-changing points here. It's just really simplifying discipleship. Be someone worth following and then get people to follow you. Be intentional about it. Paul says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So check number one. We were the type of men that were worth imitating. And then secondly, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This word imitate, he says you became imitators of us. The Greek word for this imitation idea is what gives us the English word for mimic. Mimic, copying, following the example, imitating. This is why, as as Tyson said, discipleship is more than just a passing on of knowledge. There's a mindset of like, I want to copy everything you're doing. I just I just want to I want to immerse myself in how you're doing life so that I can learn what I'm supposed to do. Paul's commending these people because he remember he's thanking God for their salvation. So he's essentially saying your desire as a new believer to imitate more mature believers is a sign that you're truly a Christian. Your desire to grow up and to be stable, your desire to seek out discipleship from us is a sign that you're truly a believer. Remember, he's rejoicing to God. God, I'm thankful for their election. I'm thankful that they're saved. I'm thankful that that they're growing. I'm thankful that they're becoming mature in Christ. I'm thankful that they are imitating us. It it, it reaffirms my, my belief that they're really saved, that the Holy Spirit really did bring the word in conviction, and they really did respond. Ultimately, a new believer needs to know how to live as a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if if you're saved, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. The new believer needs to know how to put off the old man and live out the new man. Ephesians 4. Like we said this morning, a, a new believer needs to know how to use the weight room. He walks in and says, wow, there's a lot here. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, the Bible's 66 books. Where do I even start reading? Where do I even start? Like, how do I pray? How do I confess sin? Like, how do I share with with people what's happened in me? A new believer needs to know how to put off the old man and how to put on the new man. And and we see this, this idea of imitation in our society in other ways. I mean... To go back to the, to the weight room analogy, if you walk into a Gold's Gym or some type of fitness area, you can sign up for a personal trainer, right? If you, just, if you just admit, hey, I'm the newbie, I don't really know how to work out. Like, I don't know what body parts to work out. I don't know what machines. Like, I'm sitting in this machine backwards, apparently. Like, I, I don't, I'm really lost. I really don't know how to use this stuff. You can go to the front desk at most places and they say, well, we, we can set you up with a personal trainer. Personal trainer will come in and say, look, let's set you up a workout. Let's let's set you up with something. Here's the machines you need to be on right now. Don't worry about these. Just worry about these. Get really good at these. Get really disciplined at being here every day and doing this. Personal trainer gives them guidelines. Personal trainer is someone who's already been there, right? I mean, they don't get some guy off the couch that never visits the gym to come in and be the personal trainer. I mean, it's somebody that's, you know, that's there regularly, that's, that's faithful to work out, that's already been the newbie. And isn't anymore. And he trains them and teaches them how to use 
the gym. And that's essentially what we're talking about. We do this in the job field as well. If you go and apply to be a waitress at a restaurant, what do you have to do? <laughs> Females. What do, what do they do if they hire you to be a waitress? I mean, do they, what do they do? They train you, but how do they train you? Hey, you have to follow around a waitress for several weeks. And what's crazy is you don't get paid. And if you do, it's like minimal. I mean, you get like a, a small cut of what this waitress has done for the night. Toby was telling me that when he got hired on at Yogli Mowgli, like his first night, like he just had to follow around the people that were working there. and He didn't get paid for it. But it was part of the training. It's, hey, come in and watch someone who is doing it right and then follow them. And, and, and the waitress or the guy working at Yogli Mowgli has the responsibility to identify what's working and what this person is doing and mimic it. For me, when I was growing up, I had an unhealthy, um, probably an unhealthy imitation that I was trying to perform when I was playing basketball in high school. Playing basketball in high school, I was the biggest, biggest Michael Jordan fan that there was. I mean, I just loved it. I loved the Chicago Bulls. I would watch all their games. I'd follow them through the playoffs. Being that I was playing basketball at the time, I began to try to imitate everything that Michael Jordan did. I mean, if Michael Jordan was doing it, I was doing it as well. To the point that every game in high school, I bought a, a pair of North Carolina shorts to wear underneath my high school shorts because I found out that Michael Jordan always wore North Carolina shorts under his Chicago Bull shorts. So I bought a pair of North Carolina shorts, wore them underneath my basketball shorts. Didn't like North Carolina, wasn't a fan of that college, but I said, Jordan's doing it, I'm doing it. I bought his cologne when it came out. Um, I had a huge cardboard cutout of him in my bedroom. Um, anybody remember the song that was the Gatorade theme song when he was popular? I want to be like Mike. Yeah. There was this, this jingle that Gatorade came out with. I promise you, I would play basketball in my driveway, and I would sing the song as I was playing. And I, I'd get out of breath, and I'd still be singing, and I'd still be playing basketball. I was consumed with being like him. I tried, to, I tried to force myself to like his flavor of Gatorade that he liked. I wanted to be like him. The belief being that if I can mimic him and do what he's doing, then I will be successful at basketball. Now, I didn't believe that wearing shorts was going to make me like a good basketball player, but it was, if he's doing it, I want to mimic everything that he's doing. I had determined this guy is worth following. If I want to be good at basketball, I'm going to do everything that the best basketball player is doing. I'm going to immerse myself in figuring out what it is he does and how he makes it work. In discipleship, we're talking about new believers Taking that mindset towards a mature believer and saying, teach me everything. i got to know. I'm serious about following Jesus. I've identified you as a person who is following Jesus. Tell me everything you got. What do I need to do to be effective at following Jesus? What does God require of me? Can you help me? Can you help instruct me in this area? In your notes there, imitation. Number one, there is a responsibility... On the discipler, 
There is a responsibility on the discipler to make good decisions based on setting a good example for others to follow. There is a responsibility on the discipler, the mature believer, to make good decisions based on setting a good example for others to follow. Look what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll, we'll get to this, who knows when, when we get into the book of 2 Thessalonians. But in verse 6 he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, I told you when we did some background check on this, on this church that there was this tendency to think Jesus is coming back, so that negates me needing to like work a regular job because all this is going to end anyways. The world's going to be destroyed, so let's just try to kind of hang out with each other. Let's stop working. Um, and they they had gone to the other extreme of like waiting for Jesus to come back. But they they were really waiting for Jesus to come back, and so they weren't doing anything. And and then they were expecting church members who were working to feed them. It was like, hey, we don't want to have jobs because we think Jesus is coming back. Can you have us over for dinner because we don't have any money to buy food? So Paul's addressing that, and he's saying, but don't walk in idleness. It's not in accord with the tradition you've received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul says, we're making decisions because we got people that we want to imitate us. And so we're trying to set a good example. So even in decisions that we make, we're making decisions because we want people to follow the same decision that we just made. That's a big responsibility for you to become someone who disciples. When you say, hey... I've been praying through this. I feel like I'm a person that's worth imitating. I want to start meeting with somebody and discipling them and teaching them how to follow Jesus. When you take on that responsibility, you are taking on a responsibility to make decisions that you would want people underneath you to make as well. It's a big responsibility. Because you're asking someone to imitate you, which means you better be good at setting a good example to imitate. If you start making poor decisions and start making tons of mistakes... Someone's so going to follow right behind you and say, I mean, wow, like I've, been, I've been meeting with Will and this is what Will's doing. Like I must, should do this too. It's a big responsibility to say, come follow me as I follow Christ. There's a responsibility on the discipler to be a good example. In the blank there, I put be attractive. Be attractive. Be the type of person that someone wants to follow. First Timothy four fifteen. This is this is Paul. He's he's discipling Timothy. He wants Timothy to be the type of person that's worth following. And so he's passing on everything that he's got to Timothy. And in First Timothy four fifteen he says Practice these things, Timothy. Immerse yourself in them so that everybody can see your progress. 
He says, Timothy, do these things that I'm telling you to do. Immerse yourself in them so that others can see your progress and want to follow you, basically. Be attractive. As you're evaluating these seven things that I've given you to help determine your spiritual maturity, you look at it and you say, hey, got to be honest, like I'm not worth following right now. Like I don't have a handle on, on really following Jesus right now. You, you got to get there then. You've got to deepen yourself to where you are the type of person worth following. Be attractive. An example of this. A lot of you guys know Tom Mercer, who was at Mount Gilead with us. Tom Mercer is the type of guy that I want to be around. I want to be around. I find, find Tom Mercer attractive when it comes to what we're talking about. Maybe he'll listen to this one day and... I think that's funny. Tom Mercer is attractive when it comes to spiritual progress for me. And if you've ever spent time with the Mercer family, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you've ever heard his wife, Denise, talk about him, you would think that they had just met and were just falling in love. I mean, when she talks about her man, when she talks about Tom, she talks about him like their love and their relationship is, is brand new. He's doing something at home in his marital relationship to where his wife can't stop talking about him, can't stop loving him, can't stop lifting him up when she's not with him. That's attractive to me because I want to be that type of man. When, when you talk to his kids, his kids can't, I mean, his kids are, are teenagers and in college. His kids, honestly, cannot wait for him to get home from work like Maggie can't wait for Adam to get home from work. I mean, these kids are in college and high school. Typically when, like, the, the kid starts, like, not wanting that type of attention from dad anymore. You know, like, hey, like, back off. Like, I'm becoming my own woman, my own man. Like, just, you know, give me some space. Give me some distance. These kids don't want that from Tom. They, they, they can't wait for Tom to get home from work. They can't wait for him to have days off from work. That's attractive to me. That's a godly man who's leading his family in a godly way. And he's doing things that attract people like me to say, Tom, like, teach me, dude, what you're doing. I mean, me and John approached him when we were at Mount Gilead and said, dude, you got to do that. You got to do like a men's retreat. And like, you got to teach us what you're doing. Like, you're attracted to it. We want to learn from you. We want to follow your example because you're setting a good example to follow. Each one of us needs to be the type of person that's attractive. Like, you create discipleship relationships by just simply being the type of person that people want to follow. Being the type of person that people want to follow. Paul was proving himself worthy by showing the gospel to be worthy. The Thessalonians wanted to follow him because he was genuine, his faith was real, and it was evidenced by the fact that he was willing to suffer in it. Think about it. This is the example that Paul was setting. He was coming into town saying, hey, guys, we just had to leave Philippi because we almost got killed for telling you what we're about to tell you. Let us tell you about Jesus. And they start to tell him about Jesus. And then persecution arises in Thessalonica. And they see Paul respond to this persecution, to this suffering in a persevering way. He doesn't back off. He doesn't lie. He doesn't recant. He continues to force this subject that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is worth following, that it's the gospel that Jesus preached that's what saves us. The Thessalonians are, are watching what's happening. 
And they watch the controversy. They're not all in yet. They're just a spectator. And they kind of see how this plays out. And they see a man who brings a message. And when the heat gets applied to him, he just keeps preaching it. He doesn't back off. And that becomes attractive to these Thessalonians. They say, I don't know yet if I believe what that guy's saying, but I believe that he believes what he's saying. Because he's willing to die for this. Which earns some credibility in the minds of the Thessalonians. And they start responding to this message about Jesus. They start getting saved. And they're like, hey, we followed you in salvation. Now we're going to follow you with the rest of it. Teach us why we should be willing to die for this. They found Paul attractive because he was proving to be the type of man worth following. Number two, imitation. There is responsibility on the disciple to follow the example. There is responsibility on the disciple to follow the example. The blank there, be obedient. Be obedient. The Thessalonians were intentional about responding to what they were being taught and shown. Paul says, I'm thankful that you're imitating. You realize that, that, that I can't force you to follow my example. Right? Like, if I'm the discipler, I can't force you to do what I'm asking you to do. I can only be available. I can, I can set aside time and say, hey, if you want to come over and spend time with me, I'm available. If you want me to teach you things, I'll teach you things. I can't make you do those things if you're the disciple. I can't, I can't force you as a church to obey the things that I instruct you about from the word. That's your responsibility to be obedient. And the Thessalonians were owning up to that responsibility. Paul says, well, I'm thankful you're being obedient. You're imitating us. It's like Paul saying, like, I'm setting the example and I'm telling you where to go and I'm turning around and you're, you're following you're, you're, you're imitating me. You're doing what I'm asking you to do. And that there's commendation for that. It's, it's, uh, it's up to us to take responsibility to deepen ourselves. If it's you maturing yourself right now because you don't have someone to meet with, then it's you saying, i got to make the word a priority. If you're in a discipleship relationship, it's you saying, hey, I want to immerse myself in what my discipler is telling me to do and how they're instructing me. I deemed them attractive enough to follow them. Now I'm going to deem them uh, attractive enough to actually do what they're telling me to do. Responsibility is on the disciple to be obedient. I want to give you some practical suggestions for how to spend time in a discipleship relationship. But before I do that, I'm going to get... Lauren and Jen are going to share. Lauren had the unique opportunity to be in a discipleship relationship with an older woman when she was at Valdosta. Um, so she's going to share a little bit about what, how that happened, like how did that relationship come together, and then share a little bit about what they did during that time. And then Jen's going to share because Jen had the opportunity to meet with Cortland for an extended period of time where they were able to do discipleship together. And she's going to share a little bit about that relationship. So We'll get the disciples' perspective from Lauren and the disciplers' perspective from Jen. So Lauren will come first and then Jen. You can just talk. Okay. Um, Well, I was 19 years old. I've been a Christian for eight years and didn't ever hear about discipleship until I went to Snowbird for my first summer. 
And I was like, I need someone to follow. <laughs> I need someone to teach me to be a godly woman. And so um, I had met somebody at Valdosta. Um, she was actually the Sunday school teacher of the college group. And so whenever I got back to Valdosta after being at camp, I called her and um, ended up leaving her a message. And I was like, we just talked to me. It's okay if you don't want to because I couldn't get her to answer. <laughs> um, and I, I had never done it before. I didn't know what discipleship was really um, experientially. I just heard about it. Um, so it was really neat when um, she finally called me back and she was like, were you scared of me? And I was like, no, I just didn't know really what to say. And so um, then she said she'd been praying about it already, which was really cool to me, how God already had it in the works. And um, I didn't even know it. And so then we started meeting. Um, and we were both a part of other Bible studies at the time. So we didn't um, start a new Bible study together, but it was really cool how God was teaching me one thing um, in a Bible study I was leading, and her and another Bible study, we'd come together, and it would really link, and we'd both be able to grow more in what we were already learning. Um, and I also, she taught me a lot just about being, um, at that time, a godly single woman and um, how I can influence other girls because I was leading freshmen because I was a sophomore. Um, and it was really awesome how my relationship with her, I was able to teach um, those sophomore girl, or those freshman girls, um, a lot of what she was teaching me about being a godly woman, you know, in college in Valdosta, which is a really um, big party school for a lot of people. And so it was really neat to see um, how God used that to grow me. And a lot of those, I mean, I wouldn't have known at the time how to label those ABCDs that Adam has, but um, looking at those, I know that during that time with her, I, you know, I learned more about the theology of Jesus. I grew a lot in my understanding of God's word and um, what it meant to be, to follow Christ even more. And so it was just a really good experience. And we did that for two years until I had to move away because I was getting married. I'm going to share a funny story first. I didn't know that you wore North Carolina shorts under your pants. But for his birthday one year, we flew for free because my dad worked at Delta. We flew to Chicago for the day to eat at Michael Jordan's restaurant. (laughs) Just an an additional Michael Jordan story. So I discipled Cortland for a while. It's Cortland in the front here. And it was kind of... I hadn't been at Mount Gilead very long. Um, Adam and I were newly married, had just had Maggie. And I think Cortland told Adam I'd be interested in Jen discipling me. And um, I don't remember if you then approached me or if I approached you, but we started meeting and I found out she wanted to know a little bit more about the Old Testament. And so I went through, um, I didn't know like a whole, I didn't know how to teach anything about the Old Testament really. So what I did is I took my study Bibles and read the intros to all of the books and made um, almost like cliff notes for each of the Old Testament books and used some commentaries as well well for things that I didn't really understand and made an outline of what each Old Testament book of the Bible was basically about and how to do a timeline of why they are written in what order and stuff like that. And I know that sounds really complicated um, and you probably wouldn't feel prepared to do that at all, but the intros and study Bibles are really helpful for that. I just kind of did a cliff note on those <laughs> intros and learned a lot myself, and hopefully Cortland learned some. Uh, and then following that, um, 
we went through Adam's first year discipleship notebook. Um, back then, he called it the summit material. And uh, <laughs> developed so much since then. Um, well, we went through almost that entire book, and the reason we didn't finish is because I had Jack, and um, just kind of it wasn't working out for us to meet um, quite as often. And we never really stopped doing discipleship. Uh, I think it's kind of developed a little bit more now um, into not regular meetings. I'm trying to be really intentional with some of the girls, her and in her age group, having them over to dinner <coughs> more often. And, hey, do you want to go shopping with me? Uh, things like that. And I don't feel like I'm somebody that's, you know, necessarily doing things right. But I feel like Cortland's age group um, in this church they probably all want to get married one day. Probably all want to be moms one day. Well, I am those things right now, and I'm in your church. And so if you want to spend time with me, that's what I'm making available to them is inviting them over to dinner and for shopping trips and um, trying to be more intentional. Um, I guess the Lord has placed their age group on my heart. Uh, more intentional about that's who I want to talk to the most on Sunday mornings when I'm here is their age group because I feel like they're one step behind me. They're about to be me. And if I can help them in any way to be in that stage better, then, then that's what I'll do. All right, so you get, you get a little bit of idea of both aspects there. You have a discipler for Lauren who was attracted to Lauren in the sense that Lauren wanted to spend time with her. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, like she had had a history of doing that with girls at Valdosta previously. So even the reputation had gotten around that this lady disciples girls from Valdosta. And so she's made herself available. She has a reputation for that. And so Lauren was able to seek her out and say, hey, she's worth following. I'm going to spend as much time with her as I can. And then Jen, being the type who Cortland found attractive and said, hey, I'd like to spend time with her. Cortland and Lauren both expressing a desire to be obedient, like, hey, I need this in my life. I want to learn from you. Teach me what you got. And then bringing themselves into the relationship with the discipler and even seeing both of those take on a personality of its own based on what the the girl needed at the time. You know, Cortland having a desire for this, Lauren having a desire for this, and that kind of shaping that relationship. So some practical suggestions that you might want to write down for how you would even spend time with a disciple. Not that you're necessarily at the point where you're ready to start discipling. I think it's important to allow natural and spiritual attraction to create these relationships. Allowing both a natural and a spiritual relationship to attract these, to, to create these relationships. Because here's what you don't want to happen, okay? I remember teaching on discipleship at Mount Gilead. I mean, I'm pouring my heart out, like, borderline, like, crying and, like, begging for discipleship to happen in Mount Gilead. You know, I get done and... A guy walks up to me and says, hey, I'll, I'll disciple you. And like, it was just awkward because it was, it was a situation where this is not a guy who I would deem attractive in the sense that, hey, I want to I learn from you. Like, great guy, nothing against him. But he created an awkward situation of me having to say, no, that's not what I had in mind. You know? It's like, so don't be the guy who's like, hey, I'm supposed to disciple. If I'm just going to go ask somebody today and say, hey, can I disciple you? Because it may not be a good fit naturally and spiritually. Like you want this to kind of come together from both ends. And so it may be that 
let's say Jason says, you know, hey, like, I, you know, I've got a heart for Jesse. You know, I, I want to spend some time with Jesse. I don't know that I'm ready to commit to discipling Jesse. I don't know if I want to ask Jesse to be discipled by me. I'm just going to try to spend some time and see if there's a connection there. Like, does Jesse seem to kind of feed off of me and want to be like me? Do I, you know, like spending time with Jesse? Is that something that, that I could see myself doing? And kind of see if that relationship creates itself as opposed to just saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to spread out after I'm done teaching. You guys buddy up somehow and then we'll make it happen. That you kind of want some natural attraction, like, hey, we have the same things in common, so that'll make discipleship easier to happen because we can do the same things together as I'm teaching you how to follow Jesus. So that's one, that's one important aspect, I think, is allowing both natural and spiritual attraction to create these relationships. Allow yourself only a few at a time. Don't try to be the hero that tries to disciple everybody in the church. Allow yourself a few people at a time. Now, I shared with you before that like, this is what's hindered my discipleship relationships, is that I usually open it up to anybody, and then a bunch of people show up to do it, and it keeps it from being as effective as it should be. What we have to kind of understand is that if we're going to try to keep these things small, then it's nothing personal against you if Jason doesn't ask you to be discipled by him type of thing. Like, if we're going to keep this small... Well, then Jason can't meet with all the guys. Or Ben can't meet with all the guys. Jason can maybe meet with one or two guys for discipleship. Which means that Ben needs to pick it up and meet with one or two guys as well. Or Adam needs to meet with a couple of guys. So we have to, to like kind of lay aside personal feelings and not feel like, hey, I'm getting left out because Jason's meeting with Jesse and not with me. Because it's going to be most effective if it's a small amount of people meeting together. Next. Ask them questions to teach them to learn. And this is something, too, that's kind of changing in my mindset for discipleship. Is that we don't have to always come with a pre-canned lesson and say, okay, get your Bible out, get your notebook out, let me give you the answers to fill in the blank. Here's a teaching on hell. That discipleship relationship can, that discipleship teaching can start with the two of you sitting down over coffee and, and you look at that person and saying, and again, we're, we're thinking mature believer, new believer. Hey, have you ever thought about the fact that, that the scripture says that God is love, but it also says that he sends people to hell? What do you think about that? Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm asking you what you believe about this topic as opposed to me just showing up and saying, let me tell you what to think about this topic. I'm creating a desire to learn by exposing the fact that you don't know the answer. Does that make sense? Like, we can teach people underneath us to learn by exposing to them the fact that they don't know the answer to this. We can ask them questions to help stimulate the learning process. Doesn't just have to be, hey, let me tell you about prayer. Hey, how do you, how do you think like, we can effectively talk to God? Like, what are you doing currently? Well, I'm not doing anything currently. Well, great, let me show you, like, let me share with you, like, what Scripture has to say about prayer. And let me, let me show you how I pray. We can stimulate that growth process by asking questions. Next, allow them to ask you questions. Allow them to ask you questions. Because this has been something that, that too, has been a, a, a fault of 
what I've tried to do in the past. Is that people would show up for discipleship with me. Boom, like here's all this material that I came up with to teach you about this topic. Sorry, we're out of time. Like we don't get a whole lot of time for you to give me some feedback and ask questions. Allow time for the person who's learning from you to ask you questions. One, that's going to help you determine what they need to know next. You know, what are they curious about? What, what do they feel like they need to know? And then lastly, allow a balance between teaching old and new things. Allow a balance between teaching old and new things. And here's why I'm excited about the, the new mindset that I was sharing with you this morning about how I want to do discipleship here. Is that if we target these seven things, knowing the gospel, theology of Jesus, submission to King Jesus... Trust in sovereignty. Equipped to learn like we're studying the Bible. We have a passion for the lost and a love for the church. If we're committed to deepening ourselves in these seven areas, then I should, I should constantly have material to teach, right? Like if I'm committed to, okay, in this season of my life, I'm studying the gospel more. I'm really wanting to understand the gospel more. So let's say I'm, I'm meeting with Wesley. Well, Wesley's, Wesley's maybe behind as far as where I'm at in my knowledge of the gospel. So I can teach him some things that I learned in the past. Here's some things, Wesley, that you need to know about the gospel. These are some things that I learned in the past. But here's some new things that I'm learning about the gospel right now. Because I'm also doing this. Like, you need to know this to kind of catch up with where I'm at. But I'm learning some new stuff about the gospel. Let me share this with you as well. So we're teaching some old things that we've learned, but we're also being faithful to teach new things. This is why this thing gets sustained longer than a three-year discipleship plan. Because if it's just one year, two year, three year, you're constantly teaching the same old lessons over and over every time you disciple somebody. But you may not be faithful to be discipling yourself by growing personally. But if I'm always targeting these seven things and saying, I need to get deeper at this. I'm setting an example for Will, who's learning from me. I'm going to teach him some things about the gospel that I already know, but I'm also able to share him new things that I'm learning as well. And it's going to sustain a longer, a longer way of growing for you and for the person you're trying to teach. Allowing a time to teach new things and old things. All right, lastly, number three, imitation. Not only is there a responsibility on the discipler, to set a good example, Paul says, we've proved to be this type of person for you. Not only is there a responsibility on the disciples who follow the example, he says, I'm thankful that you're being obedient. You became imitators. Number three, there's an urgency to make this happen. There is an urgency for this to happen. Proverbs 22.6. This is probably normally... Understood in the context of a mom or a dad teaching their child. But I think it can take on a spiritual context as well. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know why this is so urgent that we embrace discipleship? That we get serious about being the type of people worth following? And we get serious about asking people to follow us? It comes in the last part of verse... Six. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
For you received the word in much affliction. It's urgent. Because when you say you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus has promised that's when bad things start to happen. That's when trials start to happen. That's when suffering is supposed to happen. That's when hatred by this world is start to happening. And you see in the parable of the sower where people initially respond to the gospel. And then when things get hard, they stop following Jesus. The things of the world choke it out. Or the difficulties of this world squash it and and just quench it and it's done. Paul says, you became imitators of us and that was so crucial because when we left town, the persecution continued and it continued on you guys. And the fact that you had imitated us, it prepared you to deal with these hard times. Because the natural tendency... It's for us to want to walk away when it gets hard. But there's this assurance in Scripture that joy comes for the believer when these persecutions and sufferings happen. Look, this is, this is reiterated in other passages. Acts chapter 5. Verse 27. You've got the apostles being, being persecuted for their faith. I mean, they're being, they're being rebuked by the people that are in charge of that area. They're being told to stop. If you don't stop, we're going to throw you in jail. We're going to kill you. Verse 40, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. These guys just got beaten up for following Jesus. And it says they leave that beating rejoicing over the fact that they were counted worthy to be a part of it. That's not not normal. That's not normal to get beaten up and say, man, that was good. I'm glad I was counted worthy to be a part of that. I'm glad that I can suffer the same way that my Savior suffered for me. It's affirming me that that I'm really giving my life to the gospel because I'm suffering for it. Romans chapter 8. It says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We're, we're, We're really saved. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice 
and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is the idea of of what we're talking about, trusting in God's sovereignty, submission to King Jesus, that we're so convinced that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to set everything right, that it doesn't matter what we have to endure here on this earth because it's temporary. God is in control. He's working it for for my good and for his glory. It's so crucial that we get discipleship figured out. Because here's the thing. When new believers start getting added to our fold, hard times are going to come their way. And they need to be maturing in their faith to handle those things. Or else we have the sower and the seed. Where people are falling away. They're done. They're giving up. They're giving up on Jesus. Now, I don't, I mean, obviously we don't believe here that you can lose your salvation. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But all through the book of Hebrews, remember when Rob was here? All through the book of Hebrews, there's warning after warning after warning. Do not change your mind about Jesus. Do not change your mind about Jesus. Do not turn away from Jesus. And the concept there is that because we're believers, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we can't turn away from Jesus. But the way that God keeps us from turning turning away from Jesus is that he warns us. And in warning us, it keeps us faithful. So we're not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that if we don't get serious about discipleship, people are going to get saved and then lose their salvation because we're not ready to disciple them. But what I am saying is that when people get saved, the way they continue following Jesus is that God uses our church to disciple them. So the warning is real. We have to get serious about being ready to disciple people because suffering and persecution is promised to them. And there's going to be a temptation to walk away from Jesus. It's a serious thing. We take responsibility so that we can teach them how to handle suffering so that they endure in the faith. We have to be attractive. We have to be willing to be obedient. We have to get serious about discipleship. Because the long-term salvation of people is at stake. It's at stake for us as a church. We have to be faithful to do what God has called us to Any questions or thoughts on that before we pray? Two things I'd like you guys to do. To continue chewing on this, thinking about this. Use the city as an opportunity to share what the Holy Spirit is teaching you. We'll have sermon questions posted tomorrow in the city. Please, please, please interact with us on the city. Because here's the thing. We're admitting that we need help in this to figure out how to do this. We need your, your wisdom and insight. What the Holy Spirit is showing you as you're hearing from the word about this. Then secondly, I would love for you to help me out by sending me things that you identify that should be under these seven things. Things that you're like, hey, a new believer needs to know this, Adam. Make sure you fit this in somewhere. So that we can provide as much resource as possible to help you guys make disciples. I want to continue to to share with you how this is unfolding in my life. I think what I've shared with you this morning is going to be way more reproducible. Um, Even for like Chris, who's wanting to take this overseas and make disciples overseas. Chris is going to have to figure out how do you get someone over there to not only learn from you, but be able to sustain themselves. And I think this is something that you can instruct your guys over there and say, here, you got to keep going deep in these seven areas. It's not just get through Christian beliefs with me, but it's like you got to keep going deep in these areas. 
which ones do you need to go deeper in right now because you need because you don't you're not as mature in those areas or not. So I want to keep wrestling with this myself, keep giving you as much wisdom as I can about how I see discipleship playing out here as the Holy Spirit teaches me and shows me. So just know that I'm I'm working hard every day trying to think through this. How can we be effective in making disciples here? Because I know many of you are ready to do this, but are asking me, how do we do this? And so trust that I'm giving you as much as I can as the Holy Spirit's teaching me and showing me. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then Tyson and the guys are going to come to um, close this time out with a time of song. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time that we've been able to be in your word. God, I thank you for just the time that we're having right now to wrestle with this and work this out practically. God, I don't want to move on and just blow over these verses and say, yep, discipleship needs to be happening, and then just move right on to the next thing. God, you know my heart. You know my desire to see us be effective at making disciples that make it to the end. God, we want to be faithful to to lead people to Christ who are faithful when you come back. So, God, I pray that you would raise up men and women in this church who are worth imitating. God, that you would help people in this room who, um, who admit that they're not mature like they need to be in certain areas. They would seek out discipleship from people who are already attractive in this church. And that, God, we would all rally around the seriousness of getting a grasp on discipleship. God, help us to recognize that there are young believers that are going to be brought here to Sovereign Hope. That are going to be wrestling with suffering, difficulties, and trials because they're following Jesus. And they're going to need us to help show them the way. So, God, I pray that you would continue to teach us, to give us wisdom like we need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.